This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Today I'll be giving a personal testimony about a recent ministry trip that I took to Romania, Serbia, and Montenegro. Before I get into that, I'd like to remind you that if you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to share with me, please feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths@cantrell.cc. In a future episode, probably pretty soon, I will dig into some emails that I've received recently. I've had some really good communication with different listeners by email and also in person, as I'll talk about a little bit more today. Well, now on to this personal testimony of my recent travels. Part of my original desire for this podcast or these talks was for each episode to be much like conversations that I have with people when I'm speaking to them in person. Pretty often I sit at a table in a coffee shop or at a restaurant or in a home, sharing what the Lord is doing, encouraging people in their walk with the Lord. And these conversations are intimate rather than corporate. They're very conversational and personal. They are free of pretense or performance. I really wanted this podcast to feel more like just sitting down and talking, even though it's a one-way discussion as I speak and you listen. I do want these talks to have a more conversational feel. So this personal testimony is in line with that desire, that this would be much like a conversation I would have with someone after I've come back from a trip like this. And I've had a few talks like this recently, actually, with people asking me how was the trip and what happened, and I was glad to share what the Lord has been doing. I hesitate to give this personal testimony for fear of drawing attention to myself. I want to remind you, and I have to say, that all the glory goes to God for whatever good you might see in what I'm saying. He is the one who does everything that is good. He gives good gifts to his children I am just trying to be a member of his body and stay connected to him in a way that allows his life to flow through me, but it is his life, and any good that comes from it or anything that encourages you is the result of the flow of his life. It's his fruit, and so please always give glory to him for anything good that you might hear today, and anything that's not good, you can lay that on my shoulders. I am a very flawed vessel. I'm really glad, very thankful to be a part of what God is doing in these different countries. And as I've been among humble believers in these places, it just reminds me how Jesus, when he came to this earth, he went to the humble people. He went and ministered to the simple folk. He didn't choose to be born into a, a palace and he didn't choose his primary place of ministry to be among the great and influential people. So, moving on. I'll tell these stories in the order of the countries that I visited them. I first went to Romania, where I taught at a ministry training school. The students were pastors in central Romania, men who are leading churches and involved in ministry who, who wanted to come together and receive more training. 
There were probably 15 or so. I can't remember now. I was one of several teachers at this training school. And I taught on the prophetic gift, which is a series of episodes on this podcast. You can go back and listen to them if you'd like to hear again my views on the prophetic gift. One of the joys of being a teacher is when a student has an aha moment. And one of the men in the class didn't know why his church was considered charismatic. He didn't really know what that word meant or where it came from. And he didn't know why some churches are called Pentecostal. And as I said, I taught on the prophetic gift. And as a part of that teaching, I went into quite a bit of detail on spiritual gifts in general, what they are and what they're not, and why God gives them. And I mentioned that one Greek word for gift is charisma. And I spoke about the covenants and how they apply to followers of Jesus. And I mentioned the old covenant, the Mosaic law, that was given on the 50th day after Israel had left Egypt, and Pentecost being a word related to the 50th. And then the Spirit was given on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and the disciples spoke in other languages on that day. And so a Pentecostal is one who believes that God still gives his Spirit in power, And that spiritual gifts, these charisma, are, as Paul says, a manifestation of the Spirit. Well, this pastor had never really understood exactly why these words are charismatic and Pentecostal and what they mean. And he was really happy to now understand exactly uh, what they mean and how they apply to him. Now I know some of my listeners, you wouldn't consider yourself charismatic or Pentecostal, And actually, as I travel around the world, I see that those words have really different meanings to different people, because in some cultures, a Pentecostal church can be a very conservative church and kind of dry, whereas in other cultures, that would be the opposite idea that people have of a Pentecostal church. Well, my mother, when she was a little girl, sneaked up to a little church meeting and peeked through the window in the little town where her grandparents lived. And there were some Pentecostals there. They called them the Holy Rollers because they would fall on the ground and roll around. And she looked in and it scared her what she saw as a group of people being completely out of control. And it actually turned her off to this idea of the spiritual gifts or being Pentecostal. And this is exactly what Paul addressed in his letter to the church in Corinth. They were exercising these gifts, but they were exercising them in a way that was out of control. And God is a God of peace. He's not a God of disorder. So anyway, it was good to talk about this gift with these men. And then after the teaching was done, I prayed with the pastors and asked the Lord to give me encouraging words for them. And that time was very, very fruitful. I was there at the invitation of David McGuire. He's a British missionary who's lived in Romania for many, many years. He and his wife, Rodiga, were involved in leading this ministry training school. So David and I prayed for the pastors, and we asked if God had any encouraging words for these men. And then David and I shared what was on our hearts. And at one point, we were talking with four pastors There were three brothers, and I believe the other man was their cousin. Maybe a brother-in-law, but I think it was a cousin. It was really wonderful, these three brothers and their cousin, all ministers and ministering together, all know each other really, really well. And as David and I were sharing with these four men, at one point they started to laugh 
<laughs> it was almost like giggling. They were just so uh, encouraged and touched because the words that we were sharing were perfectly in line with their personalities and their life situation. And these pastors were deeply touched at how right the words were and how those words brought life to them. And I just remember they all started laughing because they were looking at each other and um, these knowing glances. And I said something like, well, I think what I'm saying must be right on the money. And they were like nodding their heads. It was really good, really encouraging to those guys. And we had a lot of that happen. As I was sharing with another man, one of the pastors had a vision and it was exactly in line with what I was sharing and what the the man who was receiving the words was affirming that God was speaking. And so this pastor who had never had a vision before had one. And he said, oh, it's never happened to me before. Wow. It was really good. As I mentioned, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that each person in a church is given a gift for the common good And he calls this a manifestation of the Spirit, meaning a physical expression of the flow of the Spirit. And of course, that's what we really want in all our churches. If somebody is teaching, we want it to be a a physical expression of the life of God, the Spirit of God. And so we saw that happening in Romania there as we prayed for those pastors. Now, I had also an example of what I consider to be a word of knowledge. I was invited to speak on a Sunday afternoon at a church. And for several days before that, probably starting on Thursday or Friday before that Sunday, as I was praying about what I would share, I had a really deep burden in my spirit for a word that I was to share before I got into my prepared remarks. And I hesitated to share it. but it was a heavy burden on my heart, and it kept coming back. (laughs) So I knew that the Spirit wanted me to share this. Now, the church on this particular Sunday was meeting outdoors in a courtyard. And the courtyard, if I can describe the setting, was probably 40 meters long, 40 yards long, and probably 25 yards wide, 25 meters wide. And I was down at one end, and then the people in the church were spread out throughout this large courtyard. It was a really pretty day in the sun. They had slung up some tarpaulins to shade parts of the courtyard, and some people were sitting in the shade of the trees. And the pastor of the church knows me, has known me for years, but I really didn't know the people in the church. And I uh, realized that I'm coming up to share this word with them, and they don't really know me. But here's what I shared what the Lord had put on my heart. I said, there is a thief in this church and you are stealing from the church and you think that you're getting away with it, but you are not. God sees what you are doing and God wants you to return everything that you've stolen and to confess that you are indeed stealing from the church. Well, that's what I shared. That was the first thing that I shared really after sort of introducing myself. Uh, And I was concerned about how it would be received. And as I was speaking, about halfway through what I was saying, a man way back in the back of the courtyard raised his hand. And I thought that he was saying, like, amen, brother, or like, here's the spirit with us and keep talking. So I raised my hand to him and I kept talking. (laughs) 
And I found out after the meeting that he was the thief and that God convicted him of his sin at that moment. And as I was talking, he raised his hand, confessing his sin. And the people around him knew that's what he was doing, and the pastor knew that's what he was doing. (laughs) So I laugh at it because I thought he was saying, Amen, brother, preach it. And he was actually repenting of his sin right there at that moment. So that's an example, really a good example of a word of knowledge. I had a word that came to my mind, and it bore fruit. It was a manifestation of the flow of life, and God loves that man so much that he would use me, a broken vessel, to bring that word of life to his spirit. After I spoke, I did some more prayer with people, and a young man came up, and I could see that he was burdened. And as we were talking, the word alcohol came into my mind. And I asked him, I said, are you having trouble with alcohol right now? And he's probably 16, 17 years old and going to church. And when I said the word alcohol, it was translated. There was a a lady named Mia translating for me. When she translated that word alcohol, the look on his face really changed. The blood sort of ran out of his face. It was like I'd punched him in the gut, kind of, because that was exactly the issue that he was having. He was getting tied up with alcohol, and it was beginning to have that power over him of addiction. And as soon as I saw his response, then the Lord gave me lots of other encouraging words for him and warnings, words of warning. So I was able to speak directly to him. When I said that word alcohol, I could just see that his spirit opened up to receive. He didn't know me, didn't know anything about me, and yet I could see that he was then open and vulnerable. And so God gave me the grace to encourage him and warn him. It was fatherly advice, and as I spoke... I would say that the words really weren't my own. I was just speaking. Well, it says in the Bible, God says the Spirit will give you what you need to say at the time you need to say it. Of course, that's in the context of being brought before people who are condemning us. But in this case, I really felt like God was giving me the words and that young man was receiving it. And so God used that manifestation of the Spirit, a word of knowledge, to help that young man to draw him off of that path of death and bring him back onto the path of life. And I pray that he listens. I pray that the soil of his heart is good. Amen. So this is a testimony of how the Lord was working in Romania as I was there. More and more and more, I just want to be a part of what God is doing and allow him to use me in whatever way he wants to use me as a teacher, encouraging people in their walk with the Lord. From there, I went over to Serbia, just spent the night with some really good friends of mine in Serbia. I've known them for several years. They started a small church. When I got there, they mentioned that they were having some troubles with the leadership of their church. And I actually see this many places where I travel, leadership of a church breaking apart because of a lack of unity. So many churches suffer because the leadership is not unified. And I've spoken about it before here, and I'll speak about it again, that unity is often much more important than clarity, (laughs) that it's so important for us to be unified in the Lord, in the Spirit, as much as is possible for us to live at peace with other people. Certainly if we're in leadership, to be unified. And there are times when we don't have clarity about what is coming next or 
what our future is or even what goals to have or what to anticipate. But we can be unified even in that. And churches just suffer because leadership is not unified. And not only that, if the leadership isn't unified, then the church is not going to be unified either. And I've seen this happen multiple times where leadership begins to break apart for different reasons, but usually it's because one or more of the leaders begins to set himself or herself above the others. That unity is broken, the trust is broken, and then the church suffers and the people kind of dissipate out and go off somewhere else. So I'll tell a story now that I don't think I've shared on this podcast, but it was fundamental to my understanding of church unity and really helped me as I moved to Russia and established a ministry, like what are the governing ideas that God wanted us to have, myself and the other leaders in the ministry. And I was visiting a church in Texas. I won't mention the name of it, but those of you who know me will probably know what I'm talking about. It's a Christian community. They're not communal. They don't share everything communally. They all have their own homes and their own businesses and their own land and things like that. But they're very committed as a church to being unified, completely unified. They are elder-led, meaning that they don't have a senior pastor. The church now is over a thousand there in Texas, and they've got fellowships in other countries as well and across the United States. And I was there, this was two years before I moved to Russia, so quite a few years ago now. And at the time, they were building a big building that was large enough for them all to meet together, about a thousand people, maybe. And this was in Texas in probably July, June, July, August, sometime in the summer. And it was hot, really, really, really hot. And I was there visiting with a friend of mine named David. And it was probably my second visit up there. I didn't know anybody other than David and his family. So we were there at the work site, and it's so hot, and the men are up on the building, some are up on the metal roof, some are installing air conditioning, and uh, they're just, they're working everywhere, and it's hot. Boy, it's just so hot. And it's lunchtime, and they had set up a huge, long table. So there's probably 100 men working on the building. That's my guess. They set up a big table under the trees, and the families, the women, had brought uh, the food out there. There was corn and just all kinds of really good food and cold. I remember lemonade, cold lemonade was there. And the children were all there running around. So there's probably another hundred women and a bunch of kids. And they call everybody down from the work to come have lunch. And everybody comes down and we're all standing around and there's a prayer for the meal. And when the prayer is over, nobody moves towards the food. Now, there's 250, 300 people total, maybe, there, and no one moves towards the table. And it shocked me. I mean, not even the kids ran up there. It it felt like a long time. It was probably just a few seconds, but it felt awkwardly long when nobody moved. And my friend David, who was standing next to me, kind of nudged me and leaned over and said, Mike, you need to go first. You're our guest, and they're waiting for you. And here I was, I didn't know anybody there, just David and his family, but they all knew that I was a guest and they all had agreed in advance long ago that as a community, whenever they have a guest, that guest goes first. All the children knew it, all the adults knew it, they were unified. 
They were completely unified. And they served me. And boy, it just really touched my heart. And I realized as I watched that, oh, it's possible for human beings to live in unity. The more I got to know the church, the more I realized that their understanding of what church is, is it's a place you go to die to yourself. Church is a place you go to serve others. And in that submission and self-sacrifice and service, that's how we become the people that God wants us to be. That's when the life of God flows. When everyone in a community is trying to get lower than everybody else in the community, it just is the way human beings are made to act. It's the way God has designed the universe. That our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. And he didn't consider his equality with God something to hang on to, but he let go and he left all the privilege that he had in heaven, in heavenly realms, and he came down and he, he became embodied, physically limited, and he came all the way down so that he became a servant. And even less than a servant, Jesus became nothing. And when our attitude is the same, then there's a flow of life that is unmistakable, and God commands a blessing when we fight hard for unity. So here in Serbia, I had good conversations, but they were hard conversations about this one leader who was not really submitting to godly counsel, and that lack of submission by one of the leaders was breaking up the church. Well, that's a lesson to me. May God protect me from ever being in a situation where I refuse to submit to the people that he has called me into relationship with. From there, I went down to Montenegro and had really good fellowship with friends and family there. My wife's sister married a Montenegrin, and so I got to see her and her husband and the kids and also visited with members of the church there. One listener said that I'm the only person she knows that claims to have the gift of prophecy. And uh, she said that she's a follower. She's really keeping up with things, but she wanted to have more information about what it is to speak this way and what these spiritual gifts are. And we had a really good talk. And I thought about it later, and I realized that I know many people who are gifted in this way. And when done according to the Word of God, this gift, the prophetic gift, and all the other gifts are just really a great encouragement to the church. And all these gifts, that's knowledge and wisdom, spiritual discernment, the spiritual gift of giving, the spiritual gift of showing mercy, the spiritual gift of evangelism, the spiritual gift of teaching, faith, administration, all the rest. It really is encouraging to people. And when done correctly, it really is a flow of God's life as opposed to being something that is chaotic and crazy. Now, I want to finish up here with this story. I had a really encouraging visit with some old friends of mine. I won't mention their real names. I'll call them Leo and Mary. Uh, they minister to ex-drug addicts. Leo was a drug addict, and he was a pretty rough character before he came to the Lord. And Mary's health is not very good. As a matter of fact, almost to the point of death a few times. And they, as a couple, face all sorts of difficulties. And Leo said that he had heard a teaching about myrrh. Remember, this was one of the gifts given to the baby Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as they were sharing about their lives and the hardships that they face, Leo mentioned this teaching about myrrh. 
And myrrh is a resin, which can be made into a liquid. Leo said that myrrh tastes terrible. It has a very bitter, bitter taste, but it has a very fragrant odor. It smells wonderful. And Leo said that their life is like myrrh, both very bitter and very sweet. He said they don't go through times of hardship and then times of peace. No, he said their life is both bitter and sweet at the same time. He and Mary both said that their life is abundant. They both used that phrase, that their life is abundant. But it's not just full of good things. It's full of hard things, too, difficult things, unpleasant things, things that are hard to go through. But that's an abundant life. It's a rich and full life. And I say amen to that. God has given me an abundant life, but that doesn't mean it's just full of things that are pleasant. This abundance also includes things that are really hard sometimes, which is exactly what Jesus did. He was in the middle of the hard things. He was right there with the people that are suffering. This idea of abundant life, of course, comes from Jesus himself. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about the good shepherd and the sheep. And starting in verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So here's this contrast. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. We do have an enemy out there, and his purpose is destruction and death and stealing the good things of God. And Jesus came that we might have life, an abundant life, life to the full. And my experience in the West has been that a lot of people in churches try to fill up their own lives themselves with things that they enjoy doing, or they have a kind of a boring life, and so they just pursue things that give them joy. And I want to live a life where I receive the fullness that God gives me, whatever that looks like, this overflowing life. In John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's that encouraging word of the Lord. In this world, we're going to have trouble, but that is a part of this overflowing, abundant life that he has for us. I pray that you and I will have lives that are like myrrh, both bitter and sweet altogether. And remember, the myrrh is bitter and sweet. It's fragrant, but tastes terrible. And it's very, very valuable. Extremely valuable. And that is the life that God has for us. It's one of pressing through hardship so that we'll become tougher and understand better, serve others well. And it's also full of this fragrant beauty and sweetness of a life well lived. So until next time, my friends, Pray that the Lord will do this work in your heart and show you his ways and help you to walk along the path that he has for you because his pathways are 
good. They're always good. And they bring peace to the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.